Hi, welcome to Play Therapy Across the Lifespan. This is a podcast to help counseling professionals and students use play therapy to facilitate deep healing. I'm glad you found us. I'm Dr. Denise Thomas, and I coordinate the play therapy specialization at Lipscomb University in Nashville. We've created this place for learning, growing, and being real. Play therapy can be exhausting, but so rewarding. Thanks for inviting us to join you on your journey. In season one, we want to start with the basics. How do you do this play therapy thing? Around here, we believe that play therapy is more than just kids. So we'll talk about using it with adults and adolescents too. I know there's something for you. So let's get started. Welcome to Episode 4, Reflecting What is Said and Shown. Last time we talked about how to catch what clients communicate verbally and non-verbally and saying that back to show them what they are communicating. Today, I want to give you some practical ways to do that. Different scholars conceptualize this a little differently, but I suggest three levels of reflection. Parroting, paraphrasing, and pairing with emotion. Parroting is simply saying back to the client exactly what he is saying or showing to you. The car crashed. This can be tracking if the client is not talking, but if the client is talking, it repeats what is said. This is the easiest because it doesn't have to be filtered through you. If you do it excessively, though, it can feel like being mocked. Paraphrasing is saying back what the client has said or shown you, but it goes through the filter of you and so it gets put in your own words. You might switch the order or substitute an emotion word or put a few things together. This is a deeper level reflection, and it can build awareness as you hold up that mirror of reflection so the client can see what they are showing you. The last kind of reflection is often the deepest level reflection. With it, you specifically try to identify the emotion the client is expressing. By naming it, it may give freedom to really express it. Take in what the client is communicating and then parrot, paraphrase, or pair with an emotion to reflect back what the client is sharing with you. With adolescents and adults, you use the same skills. Sometimes, though, my rationale for the skill is a little different. For example, with adults, I will often parrot a significant phrase that the client has said to call attention to it. It's all your fault. Everyone depends on you. You wonder if he loves you. It's very intentional, and it's important to use the client's exact words to do that. I never did that in my work with kids, but I do it often with adults. One additional skill that helps me know what to reflect and which way to reflect it, parrot, paraphrase, or pair with an emotion, 
is to rely on my professional intuition. I was trained and grew up in a family that valued rational cognitions, so intuition was not something I initially embraced. Then, I had a colleague, Dr. Melanie Morris, who explained professional intuition, and my plain hamburger turned into a deluxe cheeseburger with all the fixins. I felt like I had permission to trust what I was picking up from clients, but didn't have concrete data to describe. So here's what I mean by professional intuition. We all have an intuitive side that tells us subtle things. It's that vibe that someone isn't trustworthy or niggling thought that this is a bad idea. It also works on the positive side when you just click with another person or something feels right. Those things are hard for me to trust, but professional intuition relies on more than just vibes or feelings. It is informed by your education, what you read, your trainings, listening to this podcast, and other educational things. You might hear your client say something that reminds you of your theories class when you studied Beck's cognitive theory and you reflect something about faulty thinking, even though your theory of choice is client-centered. Your education has informed you that the information you are getting from your client has revealed something about how the client thinks, so you trust it. Here's another example. Your client has shared some tremendous anxiety around school and work achievement. You've been learning about how anxiety is often tied to fear, so even though your client hasn't talked about fear at all, you intuitively reflect, it seems like you're afraid that if you don't overachieve, you fail, and if you fail, you don't have worth. So I can see why this gives you so much anxiety. It's either overachieve or be worthless. Ouch. Hi, I'm Caitlin, and I recently earned a graduate degree from Lipscomb University. Located in Nashville, Tennessee, Lipscomb University offers a KCREP accredited Master of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling. One of only 29 approved play therapy centers in the world, Lipscomb's Clinical Mental Health Counseling degree is designed to include a specialization in play therapy. Graduates can become a licensed professional counselor with a mental health service provider designation. Accepting applications now. More information at lipscomb.edu slash counseling. People that love play therapy tend to be the kind of people that love fun, creativity, and relationships. They're the same people that twitch at the word research. Yet research is the backbone of this treatment modality. It gives our profession credibility, and it helps us become better at what we do as we learn about what works. I teach my students in the first semester to learn how to read a research article in 15 minutes or less. Yes, skimming is absolutely allowed. If you did this every workday for a year, you'd read about 250 articles instead of letting those journals pile up as unread reminders. And that's barely 3% of your work week. Rachel Sellers is that rare individual that is passionate about working with kids, but also passionate about research. She's going to share some of the current research in play therapy 
and I promise it won't be dull and boring. Today, I'm going to talk about the science of slow breathing and its impact on the nervous system. You may find that some of this relates to what I discussed in episode two about the polyvagal theory. Most of this research comes from an article written by Peter Dudman in the Journal of Chinese Medicine. In this article, he describes three different reasons why slow abdominal breathing can help regulate the mind and the body. So when you breathe through your nose, the molecule nitric oxide is released. Nitric oxide, or NO, increases circulation, lowers blood pressure, and reduces inflammation, all really important things for well-being. Studies have shown that slow breathing and even humming or chanting can increase NO production 15-fold. Another benefit of slow breathing is an increase in CO2. A lack of CO2, which occurs when we breathe shallowly and exclusively in the chest, leads to or worsens symptoms of anxiety, worry, and panic. Deep breathing allows more blood flow and oxygen to go to the heart and the brain, which soothes the nervous system. So this brings me to my last point, that deep breathing calms our nervous systems. The fight or flight branch of the nervous system is called the sympathetic nervous system, which is activated in the face of threat or danger. It's activated in times of stress and even external exercise, such as running or weight training. So raised sympathetic nervous system activity causes constriction of blood vessels, raised blood pressure, raised heart rate, faster breathing, and even pupil dilation so that you're better able to see danger. This system is adaptive, but if it's chronically activated, as it is for many of our clients struggling with anxiety, PTSD, ADHD, or insomnia, it can be really harmful. Scientifically speaking, deep breathing activates our parasympathetic system, or our brake system. In this state, blood vessels relax and dilate, heart rate and blood pressure reduce, and the immune system is even enhanced. Activation of this system helps achieve a healthy vagal tone, which is a fancy way of saying that there is a balance between our parasympathetic system and our sympathetic system. Inhalation promotes the SNS and exhalation activates the parasympathetic nervous system. And when we evenly and equally inhale and exhale for, let's say, five or six seconds each, we put the autonomic nervous system in beautiful harmony. So I'm going to leave you with a fun fact. If we want to more strongly promote a rested and relaxed state, we can make our out-breath longer than our in-breath. And if you're interested in reading more, go ahead and check out the article in the show notes. In today's resources segment, I want to suggest a book by Natalie Rogers. She's the daughter of the late Carl Rogers, and the book is called The Creative Connection, Expressive Arts as Healing. I think you'll find it helpful. It incorporates a lot of expressive arts like art, music, meditation, movement, exploring your shadow side, and much more. So the book, again, is called The Creative Connection, Expressive Arts as Healing by Natalie Rogers. Thank you for listening today. 
try this in your own active listening. Practice parroting, paraphrasing, and pairing with an emotion. You might start by repeating this. Subscribe now, so you always get each new episode. You can always find the links to the research and the references in the show notes. Play Therapy Across the Lifespan is made possible through the Lipscomb University Center for Play Therapy and Expressive Arts. If you have any comments or questions, pass them along at playtherapypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to our behind-the-scenes grad student, Kara Allison, research contributor, Rachel Sellers, audio engineer, Sheldon Clark, and songwriter, Sarah Beth Goh. I'm your host, Dr. Denise Thomas. Go play, create, and heal. You've got so much to say. Soon you're going to see that you've got